Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for everything that Mark's been teaching us by the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray now that our hearts and minds might be open to the authority of your word. And we pray again that as this is a spirit-filled living word, it would not leave us untouched and unchanged. Lord, we pray our hearts might be ready for you to impress your word upon them. Amen. Please do turn to Mark chapter 5. And we're looking at verses 1 to 20. That's around about page 1008. My Bible, as I said, can be a page out. So page 1008 or, or uh, 1006, I think, actually. Yeah, 1006. And I'm going to read from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. They went across the lake to the region of Gethsemane. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the arms from his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs, and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus at a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you will not, won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us into the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd was about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake where they were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And when the, and the people went out to see what had happened, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told all about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to read, leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how much he has said mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Last week we were looking at the storm. 
And again, a common theme that we've had in Mark has been Jesus' authority. This is something that Mark wants to impress upon us. And we've seen it in numerous ways. We've seen it in his authority over people. We saw it in the calling of the disciples. We've seen it before in his authority over evil spirits. We've seen, and this is important because it's something that people were noting, his authority in teaching. He didn't teach like the rabbis. Now, just to clarify that, I've probably explained this before, but the rabbis would often say, well, we look back and Rabbi Hillel says this, and Rabbi Aaron says something else. But Jesus said, used to say, but I say to you, he taught with his own authority. Amazingly, he had claimed to have the authority to forgive sin. And last week, as we saw, we saw something else which really freaked out the disciples. He had authority over the elements. Now they're still reeling from that. Why were they reeling from that? Just to recap. Well, they knew who controlled the weather. God controlled the weather. We think about Elijah. He prayed. And there was no rain for three and a half years because he'd asked God to stop it. He actually asked God to bring into effect uh, promises he'd made that if people departed and went to other gods... He would withhold the rain. And they also knew their psalms. And I quoted two psalms, but there are several psalms that speak about God stilling the storm and the tempest. So the disciples are kind of reeling from this by the time they get to the other side of the lake. It's funny, isn't it, how we can look at a situation and people can come to two different conclusions, which can actually be polar opposite. There's a story of a couple of pastors who were charged to go to one of the northern towns in the 1800s. And they got off the train, they started wandering around the town, and they started to see the squalor and the depravity of the place they had been sent to work in. <coughs> and at one point, after they sort of had quite a bit of this, one of them shrugged his shoulders and said, this place is fit for judgment. The other one said, no brother, this place is fit for revival. Looking at the same situation, two different conclusions. We see today, as we look at this passage, there are two very different reactions to Jesus and his work. And I'm going to say now, in a sense I'm going to give away a bit of what I'm going to say, we actually see something which is very common today. This actually, to me, this is one of the great things about the Bible. I look at the Bible and I see the reactions of people and how people are. 
it's true to life. People are like that. Well, we'll see what I mean as we go on. I've got four points. They will start with D. The first one is destruction. We see something truly horrific here. And that is the damage Satan can do. Now, what we have here is demonic possession. The reason I believe it's demonic possession is that when we look at these incidences in the gospel, they are accompanied with a recognition of who Jesus is. This isn't uncontrolled behaviour. I've experienced that with people with mental disorders. I used to work with them. This isn't just people having a bad day. This is something utterly destructive. Verse 2 to 5, we see that when Jesus got out of the boat, this man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man has been ostracised. He has been put out of society. And we start to get an idea why as we look on. No one could bind him. Basically, he was out of control. Why was it? Well, we see that, don't we? If they chained him up, he broke it. He would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. He was absolutely out of control and he was destructive. And that is the damage Satan does. I personally believe we see demonic possession on a level in the Gospels and perhaps a bit later in Acts because of the opposition to the gospel and the fledgling movement of the church. When Jesus came, Satan was going to throw everything he could. didn't work. It just testifies to Jesus' power as we go on. and We see Jesus' authority as we go on. But it's a picture, isn't it, of Satan's destructive nature. Jesus says in the Gospel of John that he was a murderer from the beginning. He robs robs people of their dignity. But listen to this. It's an interesting comparison. Jesus says in John chapter 10 verse 10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. If Jesus brings life, And Jesus brings hope. Satan brings the opposite. Utter destruction and depravity. Is it often seen like this? No, it's not. But it's seen, isn't it, by the enslavement to things. And even sometimes the good things God has given. Family. Edging God out. Work that edges God and maybe even family out. Someone once made the point that, you know, when people draw near the end of their life, I think it was a pastor once said, he'd never, ever come across anyone who said, I wish I spent more time in the office. But they had. (laughs) There's an irony there, isn't it? We become slave to things that actually we realise aren't very good. But we sort of, Qualify it. Well, I've got to do it for my family. I've just got to get right. I've just got to do these things. 
and Satan worms his way in. But here, actually, we just get a picture, don't we? We get a prelude, actually, of the utter destruction it brings. And it's absolutely tragic, the terrible state this man is in. It's absolutely destructive. He's shunned. No one wants to be near him. He has, in a sense, no respect for himself. He's depraved. And it's interesting, isn't it, when Jesus questions him as to why, you know, what his name is. It's actually sort of saying why you like this in a sense. He says, I am legion because we are many. Now, a legion was 6,000 men. Did he have 6,000 spirits in him? I don't know. He had a lot. He was in a terrible, terrible state. And here's something which is interesting. He recognises who Jesus is. Do you know, I find it very interesting. Again, perhaps Satan does everything to extremes at times. Satan's good on theology. We've seen, haven't we, in Scripture, he can quote Scripture, as he did to Jesus when he tempted him. Oh, he took it out of context, yes, and if you look at the psalm where he takes it from, it's taken out of context, but he knows enough to quote it. But he recognises who Jesus is. And here's the thing, isn't it? There's a danger, isn't there, that people can recognise who Jesus is. They can see a lot of good about him. They may even see a need to put something right in their life. But they do not respond in the positive way. In James chapter 2, verse 19, James challenges those in the church. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and tremble. Do you know what I think James is saying? He said, well, at least the demons have a reaction because he's dealing with a church that is apathetic and a church that is dulled in its whole approach and lifestyle. So we see destruction, the destruction that Satan brings. Next, we see deliverance. Satan, despite what Hollywood would always sort of betray it as, is not a match for Jesus. There is no great struggle here at all. Do you notice the demons beg Jesus not to cast them out? They instead, don't they, they try almost to bargain. And the only thing they can do is, is, is they can only do what Jesus allows. This is the power of Jesus here, isn't it? This is the power of what Jesus does. What he says. His ministry. And really all we see is visible proof of this exorcism. 
People have sometimes said, what, this, this business with the 2,000 pigs, what's that about? Isn't that a waste? Well, I think there's several things that we have to note here. It's a very, very visible sign of the destructive nature of Satan. Secondly, it's a very visible sign of Christ's power in that he directs or only allows Satan to do certain things. And it actually shows us the reaction of people. This is the issue here. Now it also tells us something else. Satan is active. Satan is still about. He may be limited by what Jesus allows him to do. He may be limited what God allows him to. But even then he's like a dog on a chain. He's dangerous if you get too close. But his defeat is assured. These are great verses. I've used them numerous times at funerals. I've used them numerous times with believers who have been bereaved in some way. I'm just going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 24 through to 26. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is one thing that some people sometimes call this a remedial or meritorial kingdom of Christ. Funny theological term. What it says is that the battle is won but not concluded yet. Satan will be utterly defeated. He brought death into into the world in the first place. His defeat will be final and the defeat of death and his destruction will be final. But not yet. So that tells me two things. There will be sorrow and heartache for Christians in this world. And secondly, for us, and if we're taking seriously what we are about as Christians... We are still in a battle. Here's a good thing, but we're on the winning side. And in Jesus we've got the best general we could ever have. So we have destruction, we have deliverance, what's next? Well, disruption. The report gets out, I mean it's impossible isn't it, to kind of say that this is going to be missed. The people with the pigs have taken off and they are very quickly gone into town and they're they're telling everyone they can about what's happened. Now here's the reaction that's interesting. Verse 15, when they came to Jesus they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there and dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid. Interesting, isn't it? They're afraid. 
This man is now in his right mind. He's got clothes on for a change. He's cleaned up. He is now presumably going to be, or could be, uh, you know, a perfectly decent member of society. Even better than that, he has a belief in Jesus. He's been saved. And they are afraid. And that's the difficulty that people have. You see, I think there's a very basic thing going on here. They realise if Jesus is going to be around, they might not quite get their heads around it entirely, but they know big change is going to happen. They know it's going to be a challenge. They know some way it's going to put them on the spot. And there's going to have to be a reaction. I have come across many people who say, oh yeah, I read the Gospels, yeah, I I believe it. And then you say, yes, but are you going to change because you believe it? Are you going to accept it? Are you going to realise where this puts you? Do you realise what state you are in? The state we're in is a serious one. If we live without Jesus, if we don't put God first, then we basically have put ourselves on the other side. Everything we say and do will be judged. And it will be judged as if it comes up to God's standards, Jesus' standards. And it will be judged not just in a legalistic way, well, did he keep that commandment, this commandment, whatever. But be judged in the way Jesus taught the commandments. Jesus said, didn't he, Matthew, go to the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said long ago. He's referring to the law. Do not kill. But I tell you, if anyone calls his brother a fool, You've heard it said, anyone who looks, you know, you know, uh, do not commit adultery, but anyone who looks lustfully at a woman, and I'm sure he means a man by that as well, you know, has committed adultery. You see, the fact is we don't keep the spirit of the law. We don't keep the law in our hearts. We can tick off box and say, well, I haven't done that, I haven't done that. I haven't murdered anyone. That's good. Sure it's good. I'm very pleased. I'd be really worried if we'd had someone in church today who said... Well, I'm not sure about that one, Keith. Um, I'd be really worried. But the point is this. We know we've been angry with people. We know we've looked and lusted where we shouldn't. We know we've looked and we coveted and we thought, oh, I wish I had a lifestyle like that other person. We know we've failed. I think, you know, in a strange way, I think the people here had a implication of that this person had been made new and it scared them and there's another thing it's going to be very very disruptive isn't it (laughs) notice what's said again here you know those who had seen it verse 16 told the people what happened to demon possessed men man and told him about the pigs as well then the people begged Jesus to leave their region 
I think they think that Jesus' presence is going to be so disruptive. And that is the fact, isn't it? If we're going to take what Jesus says seriously, it is going to mean that there's going to be major changes in our lives. There's a real issue here. So they want Jesus to go. Well, too bad, one good so far. Destruction, bad. Deliverance, good. Disruption, well, they see that as bad and their attitude is bad. And the dismissal of Jesus is there. Then we see devotion. This man who's been healed would go anywhere with Jesus. But he's also obedient to Jesus. He doesn't approach this on his terms. You know, Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to him. And he might sort of, you might think, well, you know, if he can't go with him, what's he going to do? But Jesus has a job for him. And the thing is, he obeys him. Notice in verse 19, Jesus did not let him come with them, obviously. But he said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much mercy he has had on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Some interesting things here. You notice something. We might be a bit in despair, you know, the good good things Jesus has done, the deliverance of this man, the people tell him to go and we think, oh, that's terrible, isn't it? One door closes, another one opens. Jesus says to this man, go. And so he goes. And of course, word would have got around about him. And people are going to know of him. He's going to speak to them, and he's in that area, and he's in a Gentile area as well. This was predominantly settled by sort of a mixture of Greeks and other Gentiles in that area. He's actually sort of almost the first missionary outside Israel here. (laughs) He's opening up a whole thing, and people are hearing this, and they are amazed. And notice this. He's got the right kind of testimony because he talks about what Jesus has done for him. I think that's really important. Testimonies that speak about what God's work has done and dwell less on our experience are important. Very, very important. We see several things in this which are very important. We see Christ's power. He has authority in every area. And he has authority here. And this man recognises that authority and goes when he would love to have gone with Jesus. Jesus says go. And out of gratitude and out of love... He does a work that is prepared for him to do. That is absolutely amazing, isn't it? But it also shows the damage that sin does. The damage when we give in to temptation. 
brothers and sisters, one thing I want to make clear. When you are the Lord's, the Lord will hold on to you. And very often Satan's tactic is not, because he's limited, is not to reclaim people, it's more to make them ineffective. He wants them to fall, he wants you to fall. He wants pastors to fall, that's why I'm always asking you to pray for me. And Gilbert particularly as an elder, as elders in the church, do pray for us. Because he knows it's much easier to undermine a ministry. Just think of, you probably haven't got to think too far of various scandals that have happened to ministers. Things that have happened. Things that bring the gospel into disrepute. and They don't just undermine that, that ministry and that person's ministry. They undermine people who were involved in it. They undermine people who sort of thought they were coming to faith in it and all kinds of damage is done. And Jesus, you know, one thing that, 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 that uh, is, 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 is clear to me is God can restore people, but the issue sometimes is we get burdened with guilt and we often feel when we've fallen into sin, how can the Lord ever use me again? And that's what happens sometimes. Or we just feel, you know, because of something that's happened, well, the Lord can't use me this week, next week. And we put it off because we don't feel good. And Satan wants to undermine. And he loves to make Christians ineffective. But the fact is this. There is forgiveness and there is renewal in Christ. And that should always lead to witness. I love this. And I love it for good reason. you see why we had Ephesians as the other reading. Because I think this man's experience perfectly illustrates these verses. I'm going to read and explain just to finish off. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance. Perhaps this is a bit more extreme, what we've been reading of today, but there is a sense, isn't there, that God enables. You see, this man could not enable himself to come to Jesus. In a sense, the demons within him made him believe in Jesus and what he was, but he needed Jesus' work in his life. And we need that. That's what grace is about. And works are the opposite. Works have nothing to do with grace. But grace is God's work. Do we deserve it? Nope. Did this man deserve it? No. And the irony is, those who rejected Jesus because of the change he would have bring, they were rejecting the grace. 
They'd been given a wonderful picture of what Jesus could do in renewing a life and rather than accept this gift of faith from God, they rejected it. But notice also where good works come. They come after God has worked. And that's what happened with this chap. Jesus told him to go out and to tell his family and to tell everyone. And he went everywhere through this region, a vast number of people, saying what Jesus had done. God has works for us to do. God has work for us to do as a church. Any church, if it's gospel-based, doesn't matter whether it's got 200, 300, 400, doesn't matter if it's got 10. It's to be there, it's to be doing those good works, bringing the good news of Christ to the community. That's very much my prayer, Gilbert's, for this Easter and beyond. One of the things I've often said about the work here, we don't do outreach at Christmas and Easter. Yes, we do, we do. But it's only a prelude to what we do all the time. There may be other, you know, bigger opportunities at Christmas and Easter. So pray. Pray for the leaflets. There's 10,000 leaflets going out from this church soon into Stony and the Greater Milton Keynes area. There's leafleting going on every week on consecutive streets in Stony. There's visiting on the new estate. Most weeks, though, we're coming to the end of the building there now. But then we'll be looking to do something else after that. Pray that the witness continues, but never forget the source of the witness. It is God's grace in our lives that keeps us going. You see, this man was just a more exaggerated version of us. I used to have a chap who worked for me. He'd had a troubled upbringing, and he, he worked with me when I was in building. And I used to see the difficulties and flaws in him and the little deceptions. I just used to think they're more exaggerated versions of myself. <laughs> and that's what we see with this man. We see the destruction that Satan brings just on a bigger scale. Jesus has freed us from that by his power on the cross, by the grace of God. Let's live in gratitude. And if we don't know that, let's just pray and receive that. I'm going to pray now. If anyone wants to sort of ask me anything more about this, the good news of Jesus, anytime, Gilbert, myself, anyone you know, or a friend you know who's a good Christian. But don't, don't wait on it today. receive the grace of God let's pray gracious Lord we thank you we see in this man the destruction Satan brings but we see the power and renewal of Christ as well so Lord we thank you for that and we pray Lord that as those who know you those who do know you here we'd live in the light of that we'd be grateful for that 
did we realise it's only by grace we're saved. It's by your goodness in reaching out to us in the first place. So Lord, may we live and work to your praise and glory in our witness in the weeks and in the months ahead. We ask it in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.